0: This is Politicking with Curtis Schoon with special guest Jason Whitlock. Good morning, Jason Whitlock. How are you doing on this Memorial Day, Monday?
1: Uh, I'm doing great. Weather's good here in Nashville. Uh, I'm fired up. It's been a long weekend, as uh, Vice President Kamala Harris would say. (laughs) long weekend.
0: Look, I, I, I've seen um, our boy Kwame has been um, very, very active on social media, and I it brings something to mind, man. Um, what what is going on with us as black men that there's this need? It seems, apparently, for us to constantly Attack one another personally based on differences of viewpoints, politics, and what have you. Um, I know Stephen A. Smith he he put together something I didn't watch it, I did, and to but <laughs> to, to attack Kwame or criticize him, I was told it was just about basketball, but why is Stephen A. Smith discussing someone who hasn't even been in the league for, I guess, about a decade? Why, why is Kwame all the rage? Why do people feel the need to discuss him in a negative manner so long? I'm sure, and I'm not saying that he was a bust, but even if they believe he was a bust, he can't be the only person they feel was a bust. Why just him over the years? Is this so, is there something behind this? And Stephen A, to make the kind of money he makes to discuss sports in the middle of the NBA playoffs, as a matter of fact, to take that kind of time and address Kwame. What's really going on here, Jason?
1: Um. And so this is going to take a minute for me to unpack. Take uh, your time,
0: brother. Take your <laughs> so, time.
1: So what, what, and I may unpack a lot. I hope you, because I want to hear your pushback feedback. So you may have to take notes or just, you. hopefully oh, yeah. you got a photographic memory. Okay, let's uh, go. But look, I put it out over social media that very strongly, look, I'm all the way in Kwame's corner. And that does not mean I think Kwame Brown is perfect, but he is clearly, clearly pushing a bigger topic than just his playing career. And I'm so appreciative of that, the the message that he's trying to get out, the disruption that he's trying to be to a system that he calls the go-along, get-along game. And it's a little cabal of elites and blacks who have been uh, anointed by the uh, system or the machine, the media machine, the Hollywood machine to be as Kwame says, the gatekeepers of chaos. You know, I say the gatekeepers of dysfunction and degeneracy and making sure that we as black people never talk about the real issues related to us and so uh you know Stephen A initially because Kwame did attack Stephen A Smith because Stephen A Smith uh back during Kwame's playing days was one of his most vocal critics and and Kwame went after Stephen A Smith like he's gone after a lot of people Stephen A Smith initially put out over Twitter he wasn't touching it that man has a right to his opinion he's staying out of it and I celebrated Stephen A Smith for doing that when he put that out over Twitter and over social media. He since has pivoted and put together an eight or nine-minute uh, attack on Kwame Brown in a defense of Kwame's critics. And uh, Curtis, I've gone back and forth on my feelings with Stephen A. Smith. You know, I think it was in 2012, maybe. I called out Stephen A. Smith in a column about his use of the N-word on ESPN. Mm.
0: Stephen A. kept
1: getting in the habit of saying, nigga, please, on ESPN.
0: Oh, man. I didn't uh, even know that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. He did it twice. Let it go the first time. He did it the second time. I called him out, wrote a column, you know, talking about him and the show he was doing with Skip Bayless at that time. And Stephen A. Smith has never spoken to me since. And we were friendly i wouldn't call us friends but we were friendly and supportive of each other because uh, and a are basically the same age and our careers overlap we rose around the same time but in 2012 he quit speaking to me he's been mad ever since i've made considerable outreach trying to end the, the beef uh i certainly don't take back what i wrote in the column but you know, me and Stephen A. got mutual friends. At the top of that list would be Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah is someone I'm very close to and have a lot of respect for and have tried to be respectful of Stephen A. Smith and a supporter because Stephen A. Smith, from, from time to time, does things that I agree with. And I, I don't hate on the man for having his for having the success he has. a year, I'm all for that. Uh, But I have to say, I've been crystal clear, if you come at Kwame, I'm coming for your head. And so there will be no more outreach by me towards Stephen A. Smith. And and I don't think Kwame's the perfect person to defend himself from the attacks that Stephen A. Smith has put on him. I am. Because Stephen A. Smith tried to talk about Kwame's playing career again here in the past week or two. Well, Mm -hmm. see, I can talk about Stephen A. Smith's playing career as a journalist. I'm qualified to do that. I, in that profession, particularly in the sports angle of it, I've reached the very top. And I I can recognize buffoonery and bullshit better than anybody else. And that's what Stephen A. Smith has been on, buffoonery and bullshit as a journalist. And so Stephen A. is uninformed. Uh, Stephen A. has never been someone who could write white people. His editors have always covered for that. He's been basically an affirmative action sports writer who finally Uh found a lane talking shit that he's qualified for. And that's why he moved out of the sports writing deal altogether and just talked shit. Because he's never been able to write and white people have had to carry him in that regard. And that's why he'll always be beholden to them. And that's why he'll always be a gatekeeper of the dysfunction and chaos and go along with the go-along, get-along game, as Kwame says. He said... And this is typical of Stephen A. Smith. It's marked his entire alleged journalistic career. No one is attacking Kwame Brown personally. That's what Stephen A. Smith said. He went on to say, every single comment has been about your game, nothing personal. And he's talking about Matt Barnes, Steven Jackson, Charlemagne the God, Jamel Hill, Everybody is covered. Up. No one has said anything personal. This is typical of Stephen A. Smith. He's fucking uninformed. Always. Always. And I'm going to cite some examples for Kwame to help him out because this isn't his area of expertise. In 2005, Stephen A. Smith went on ESPN television and criticized Marty Schottenheimer, football coach of the Chargers at that time, I believe. NFL coach at the time. For he said he should have kicked on third down. So if they missed it, he could re-kick it on fourth down. Curtis, this motherfucker does not understand NFL rules. We all laughed at this shit at the time. You get one chance to kick a field goal. If you miss, you don't get to fucking re-kick it. It would be the same as saying uh if LeBron James fouls, gets his sixth foul. Uh, they should sit him down and bring him back in so he can get his seven. You file out at six. You miss a field goal, you don't get to re-kick it on fourth down. This is the kind of – he doesn't know what he's talking about other than the NBA. A couple years ago, two or three years ago, Stephen A. Smith went on TV talking about a Chargers-Chiefs game and started talking about how he couldn't wait to see the Hunter Henry-Derek Johnson matchup. Hunter Henry, tight end for the Chargers, Derrick Johnson, middle linebacker for the Chiefs. The only, pro- and he talked about what a great season Hunter Henry had had, and he couldn't wait to see this, this matchup on Monday night or whatever the hell it was. Hunter Henry had missed the entire season with an injury. He had not played. Derek Johnson had been cut by the Kansas City Chiefs before the season. He wasn't on the roster. He's on TV talking about a middle linebacker that doesn't play for the Chiefs and a Chargers tight end who hadn't played all season. And he couldn't wait to see this matchup. The motherfucker has been uninformed his entire career. White liberals have covered for it. That's why he will always be beholden to them. Let me give you another example. Just last year, January, 2020. ESPN put Steven unqualified to talk about MMA and UFC but because they're paying him $8 million or whatever the hell they paid, him and because he's their pet oh, because, he's, because he's their pet they put him on UFC Cowboys are wrong versus uh, Conor McGregor Conor McGregor Breaks an orbital in this dude's eye, face, whatever. This dude goes out cold, cowboy does. Stephen A. Smith gets on the post show uh, talk with Joe Rogan and tells everybody, the ESPN audience, that cowboy quit. You don't say this type shit in a combat sport around combat people. The entire UFC. MMA community went off. Joe Rogan did 30 minutes on a podcast with Josh Thompson talking about how out of bounds, how uninformed, how stupid this shit was. Stephen A. Smith ain't been back on UFC since. Dana White, the head of UFC, talked about how ignorant this shit was and how uninformed it was. Stephen A. Smith is paid to talk shit, uninformed shit. He's paid to be a buffoon. Look at this uninformed oh, Negro we got out here that we paying eight million dollars. That's the represent. That's the best black journalism has to represent itself is Stephen A. Smith, who knows one topic, the NBA, and that's it. And then when it comes to the NBA, he used to be used to be an information guy of some renown. He Allen Iverson. News news around LeBron James. He used to be in the mix on that and would occasionally share some good information. But now it's all shit because he's stretched too thin. He's overused. He's trying to do shit. He takes himself too seriously. He's an elite. And he represents the elite. And what Kwame Brown has been trying to say, and this is my big problem. It's not. It's not just that he's uninformed. He can't see the big picture. That's what drives me crazy. Kwame Brown has been on a sports level and on a cultural level trying to hint at the big picture. The big picture is y'all's information and the shit y'all talk about is childish and uninformed and you're afraid of certain people. Let me break that down to you. What Kwame has been saying, and there's plenty of evidence and proof, no, I'm not a bust. I was a 19-year-old kid drafted straight out of high school who went into the most toxic environment in all of sports, Michael Jordan's last two years in the NBA with the Washington Wizards. You can ask Jerry Stackhouse, who a year ago talked about how much he regretted being in Washington with Michael Jordan. Jerry Stackhouse played at the University of North Carolina. Shirley grew up idolizing Michael Jordan, had the balls to put his name on how toxic that environment was and how playing with Jer- Jordan diminished his respect for Jordan and he felt hurt his development. Jerry Stackhouse, that was a grown man at that time playing with Jordan. Kwame Brown was a 19-year-old kid. I've seen four uh, former Washington Wizards teammates that were there in D.C. with Kwame and Michael Jordan, Eton Thomas, Eton Thomas, uh, Jahadi White, Tyrone Nesby, and oh, I can't think of, oh, Chris Whitney. They all did a podcast together, all talking about how toxic the environment was for Kwame Brown. And so what Kwame Brown has been trying to say is: hey man, you sports writers are in the hip pocket of Michael Jordan. You won't tell the truth about my career. I was a 19-year-old kid that walked into the most toxic environment. Jordan didn't even want me there. They wanted Elton Brand. Tell the truth story. I'm not a bust. I'm someone who at 19 walked into Jordan's ego at the end of his career when Doug Collins was there to be the head coach, and Doug Collins was partnered with Michael Jordan. He was just basically Michael Jordan's puppet, and I like Doug Collins. I'm not disparaging him, but it was the situation he was placed in. Kwame Brown's career was ruined by Michael Jordan. Stephen A. Smith, none of these groupie athletes from Stephen Jackson to Matt Barnes have the balls to criticize Michael Jordan. That's what Kwame is talking about, The journalism is addicted to the elite and the powerful. It will not be the voice for the voices. Kwame Brown was voiceless, and none of these cowards would stand up for him. And now, even 20 years later, these cowards are doing the same shit to this young man. And here's the other bigger point, that the man is talking, no one said anything personal about him or blah, blah. Charlemagne the guy, went on TV and started talking about this man's father killing somebody, his brother's killing somebody, and Kwame made snap. Uh, uh, Matt Barnes uh, put out a video talking about uh, you got my dick in your mouth. Uh, Steven Jackson called him a dirtball human being or his his life is dirt. What are y'all talking about? This man is sitting here trying to protect his fatherhood. His ability to be a good father to his son, being a laughing stock, And I'm, his son is, I think, 16 years old now, a sports fan, likely, maybe an athlete. He's listening to his father be disparaged 20 years later, father minding his own business. Kwame's ability to be a father is being undermined by people just getting off little jokes. And this man has every right to stand. There was a a player, I think, drafted three years before Kwame, named Michael Olawakande, First pick overall, a bust. Only played nine years in the league. Or I hate to, I don't want to call him a bust, but under their definition, a bust. You never hear anybody talking about him because he didn't play with Michael Jordan. Because Michael Jordan didn't tell his media puppets to attack him. Because there was no, again, everybody's looking for butter biscuits from Michael Jordan. I like and respect Michael Jordan as a player. Michael Jordan is an asshole, and he can be called out for his wrongs just like anybody else. But because these groupies want butter biscuits from Michael Jordan and any of these other at least they're because they spend every moment worried about, oh, my God, when I walk into the locker room or when I walk into this space, is Michael Jordan, Is Kobe Brown. Are these odd guys all going to love me? But they pretend Black Lives Matter. I'm a voice for people like George Floyd. No, you're not. Because if you were, you would have been defending Kwame Brown. And if you were, you would see the bigger picture. I said it, Curtis, and I mean it, Kwame Brown could do a podcast or a YouTube show today dissing the shit out of me, and I wouldn't care. Because it ain't about me. It's about the message that this dude's trying to promote, the conversation he's trying to make room for. There's a bigger picture. If that's what that man has to do to protect being a father, and so his son will respect and listen to him, and his other kids, he got a daughter too, will respect and listen to him. I'm not mad at him. And if this is what it takes for us to have a conversation about, hey, what are we really doing here in the media? Are we really trying to be a voice for the voices? Are we really trying to represent at-risk people? Or are we protecting our elite status and using people like George Floyd to build our own careers, to, to exercise our own leverage, in our corporate work environments. Is that what is really? Because I don't believe none of these people, none of them have George Floyd's interests, his family's interests. It's about what can I get off George Floyd and the racial angle? How can it help me as an elite protect my space? And that's I just look at all of this shit. And the attack on Kwame Brown is like, yeah, they don't want to break up the game. And, and, and they want to make sure that the elites are all protected. So, I'm sorry. Uh, I did not want to do this to Stephen A. Smith, but I promise you this, it'll be on like Donkey Kong for the rest of his fucking career if he don't get the fuck up off Kwame Brown.
0: Do he owe Kwame an apology? Hell yeah,
1: he owes an apology. Because ain't no fucking way you should be on TV Uh 20 years later, talking about this man's a bust and he can't play basketball and being uninformed and pretending like, oh, no one said anything personal about Kwame Brown. Get the fuck out of here.
0: So, Steven, and, and he's from Hollis, around the corner for me, I didn't know him. I seen him around, but but that has nothing to do with anything, right? But listen, from what you said, he's not really a qualified sportscaster. He's uninformed. So you also said he's a buffoon, that he's there for entertainment purposes more so than anything else. He's created this character or caricature. And personally, right? I don't don't really watch a lot of TV. I'm not a big sports guy, I'll say it again. But I do remember a guy on ESPN named Stuart Scott that I used to watch. And Stephen is a long way from Stuart Scott. I thought Stuart was a classy guy. Um, I always saw Stephen as like a Dick Vitale wannabe, super animated and, you know, Maybe not with the same knowledge as Dick. I don't know. I'm not the expert on that. But just my the- like cow
1: stays in his lane. He yeah. talks college basketball. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But but that animated energy, that's who he reminded me of, you know. But um a lot of the things you're talking about, I I don't I didn't know anything about him saying nigger please on ESPN. They allowed him to to get away with that. They didn't check him.
1: Um, he comes up with his, I didn't say it, I speak too fast, you misheard, but it, it, it's clear as day. I want to make one small point. Stuart Scott was a play, uh, a broadcast, he wasn't an opinion guy. Mm-hmm. And so he did his colorful highlight packages and whatever, mm-hmm. but there was no opinion laced into it. And so Stephen A. Smith is trying to do a Stuart Scott impersonation, but with, opinions laced in that all and the opinions tend to punch down but uh, that, that's that's the difference between Stuart Scott and Stephen A.
0: The other thing about Kwame Brown like you I, I support Kwame. I haven't watched all of his videos. I think uh, I've watched one video the very first one in its entirety and I've saw I've looked at pieces of the others right? I think I think it's important for Kwame to know that he I'm not saying he is alone but he may have more people in his corner than he suspect. He discussed text messages he exchanged with Stephen Jackson where Stephen Jackson implied or outright said you know there's people who care about me Blah 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 blah, and Stephen Jackson should understand that that's a two-way street. There's people who care about Kwame that Kwame doesn't even know about, and I, for me, right? These the 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 war of words. I think when they both everyone said what they said, I, I didn't really have a problem with it, but it doesn't seem like it's going to end. You know what I mean? Like at least not end well. And that's my concern. I saw um, a video of Kwame showing his guns. He wasn't making threats or anything. But to me, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, man, I hope between the threats he's getting, he making it known that he's armed and all that. And he has a right to defend himself. I don't know the seriousness of the threats that he's getting. You know what I mean? I just think that, All of this, because this guy's career didn't turn out the way that people thought Mm. it should. I think this is terrible, man.
1: it's not about that though, school. Mm. It's about controlling the minds of Black people.
0: Yeah, I I get that, but it started with him, uh, started with talking about his career. This is just, this is asinine to me. These guys. Matt Bonds, the only thing I know about Matt Bonds is he beat up his, his uh, ex-wife. Derek yeah, Fisher. boyfriend, J- Derek Fisher. And the only thing I know about Steven Jackson is that he ran in the stands. And, 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 and that is kind of um, how things go. To get attention, it's always something negative, man. And I think some of us know this, and deliberately indulge in negativity to draw attention to ourselves. Kwame is not one. He was minding his business. <laughs> they decided to discuss him. Okay. Now, the last episode we did, I spoke on Charlemagne's apology to Kwame to Kwame. And I'm going to be totally honest, right? I hope it was sincere, but I can't say that I know it was sincere. And let me tell you why I hoped it was sincere. It wasn't to cover for Charlemagne. It's I wanted to level down the nonsense before somebody gets hurt. You see, and there was all kinds of people in the comments, like I'm taking Charlemagne's side and they start talking about he's a rapist. I'm not talking about rape. I don't have anything to do with that. I'm talking about these two black men in a in, involved in a, a situation that I see escalating and I don't wanna see anybody get hurt. Not Charlamagne, not Matt Barnes, not Steven Jackson and certainly not Kwame Brown. And here's something I wanna share with the viewers because they don't know who I am. They think I'm like them, some kind of, you know, Not all the viewers, but the people who commented specifically, some kind of spectator to this circus that they're looking at, right, of people going back and forth. There was a podcaster named Taxstone who is currently in prison for murder. It happened at a party for T.I., and he had been saying things about a rapper over and over named Troy Ave., and they all happened to be at this party that T.I. had or performance, whatever it was, and things happened, people got killed and so on and so forth. Prior to that happening, I had reached out to the guy who was, who supported Tackstone was, played a role in getting them to, to a podcast named Reggie Osei, otherwise known as Combat Jack, who has passed away. Rest in peace, Reggie. I had not known Tackstone. I saw an episode where he was talking him and Nipsey Nipsey Hustle seemed to have some kind of back and forth, and so on and so forth. I said, "Oh boy, here we go." Keep in mind, now I don't. I didn't know Nipsey, who is also dead, and I didn't know Taxstone. I reached out to Reggie O'Shea and told him, listen, man, I'm concerned for this brother. I think he's on a path that's gonna get him in some trouble. And Reggie's response to me was, he said, yo school, he said, tax is fearless, man. That's that's like really who he is because I felt tax Stone was saying things to draw attention to himself to succeed. Because I understand some of us when we get our opportunity, we're almost willing to do anything to make it work. And I was hoping that wasn't the case with Tackstone. Here it is, he's been in prison now for four years. He hasn't been sentenced, but a murder happened. And I talked to Reggio Say, the guy who was instrumental in getting Tackstone to podcast prior to any of this happening. So when I said, yo, man, I, I, I think it was sincere, I genuinely care for these dudes, man. I do not wanna see this petty bickering, back and forth nonsense, turn into a funeral for somebody. I think we had enough of that with, with this East Coast, West Coast, Biggie, Tupac. We have to learn to communicate with each other a lot better and everything is not to be said in front of everyone. I I would like to see a real resolution. I I think it's irresponsible for somebody like a Stephen A to pour gas on the fire for ratings. You make a lot of money, Stephen A. Even if you do uh, wear blackface and tap dance, you you gotta be better than this man. Find another way to, to entertain your audience. Because after somebody gets hurt, and I hope that it doesn't come to that, then we hear all the, we we gotta do better, this don't make no sense, man. <laughs> Stop the violence. No, you all cheer this shit on every time and then pretend you had nothing to do with it when something goes wrong. And and, and, and that that's just how I feel about all of this. Now, one of Callie's.
1: Hold for one second, because I think you made an excellent point. And, and I just want to, that's where my dissatisfaction with Stephen A is coming Absolutely. from.
0: Absolutely. He's bigger than all of this shit, man. What's wrong He's with him? He's
1: 53, 54 years old. He's supposed to have some discernment, some wisdom. He's supposed to be able to see the bigger picture. But if you're uninformed, and so one of the things you you talked about at the beginning of that was Kwame feels like his life is being threatened. I, it's clear I as day. No, no, it's get clear that. as day. I've watched And
0: that's why I support him.
1: and that's why I've watched as much of this and as followed this as closely as I can so that I am informed. And so if you are informed, you don't go on TV and throw gas on Kwame Brown and keep this going. I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to show everybody how tough I am and Steven Jackson and all these guys are going to text me and thank me and blah, blah, blah. And all you've really done is pour gas on a dangerous situation because if we had been doing our job as the media, if Stephen A., who's supposed to be the voice of the NBA, had a pair of balls we wouldn't be saying that Kwame Brown is the biggest bust in NBA history and he couldn't play. Stephen A. said he couldn't play a lick of basketball. That's just bullshit and not true. You can't play 12 or 13 years in the NBA and not be able to play a lick of ball. You can't. In his third season, the first season after Jordan left, the man averaged 10, 11 points a game. That's not somebody that can't play a lick of basketball. That's somebody who finally, after Jordan gets up out of there, has a chance to start showing who he is. But the narrative that Jordan promoted, that this guy was a bust and he got done wrong in Washington and and Abe Poland was supposed to sell him the team and all this other stuff. If we in the media had been objective and told the truth about Kwame, this explosion from Kwame 20 years later would have never happened because... He wouldn't be seen as some laughing stock. He'd be like Michael Oliver Candy and all these other names, Joe Berry Carroll's and Sam Bowie, who was the number two pick. These guys all get to go live their lives without being the butt of jokes and having to look at their kids or their son, ingesting people making a joke out of them. And so this would have never happened if we did our jobs and if we represented people like Kwame and just stuck to the facts rather than what's going to make Michael Jordan happy or what's going to make LeBron James happy. All this groupie-ass-kissing shit is the problem.
0: I, I, look, man, I, I saw, first of all, how how is that, that podcast doing? Is it doing well, the All the Smoke podcast? Yeah, it does very I, well. I never even heard of it.
1: Yeah, no, it does well. It I guess popular. I'm in a
0: bubble, you know what I yeah. mean? I, i never even heard of it. And and you know what? It's all good. But one of the things Kwame um, mentioned, he accused them of tearing down Black men. Okay? Now, is there a difference between tearing down Black men and criticizing things you disagree with that perhaps Black men have done? Or is it is it, a, is it a, is it a, is it wrong to only criticize black men and no one else? What's your view wow. on that? Because, and let me say this, Jason, those same complaints have been made about you. People have accused you of tearing black men down. What, what's your take on that? Explain the difference for me, please.
1: I, I got into a little bit of this last week. People, as a critic, as a sports critic, you're going to criticize whoever you feel messed up. Uh, When I was in Kansas City, the people that messed up the most happened to be white. Marty Schottenheimer, Carl Peterson, Scott Pioli, uh, Trent Green, you know, who, who, the the people that I was covering. When you get on a national scale and you mostly talk football and basketball with 75% of the players, in those sports combined are probably black. Uh, And LeBron James is probably the most discussed person. And so, yeah, I'm someone that will criticize LeBron James when he hops in an AAU basketball line with his son and starts dunking the basketball and and all over the court, (laughs) overshadowing the kids. I'm going to criticize that. If he goes on, if he starts a TV show called The Shop, that I think is trash, I'm going to criticize that. If he's going to pretend like uh, black men can't go out in the streets out of fear, we're going to be hunted down by the police, that kind of lunacy, I'm going to criticize that. Uh, but have I criticized Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and that black people just ignore Ben Roethlisberger? But black people just ignore that and only for, oh my God, you criticize LeBron. And again, it's this idolatry that the Bible speaks very clearly about. I call it groupy shit. The Bible calls it idolatry. It, that's what has us thinking, because here's the people I criticize that drives Black people crazy, LeBron James and Colin Kaepernick. They're I disagree. Sacred cows, huh? it, sacred cows. I disagree with them politically. They're left-wing uh, r- opportunists doing the bidding of China, and I call him out for that. LeBron James, you can find plenty of material of me praising LeBron James on the basketball court and for hell, uh, when his little right-hand man, Maverick Carter, and I don't mean little in in a disparaging, but that's his boy, right, Uh, Maverick Carter, when nobody else in the media would touch Maverick Carter. And every word out of his mouth was disparaging of Maverick Carter. There was one journalist who uh, sat down with Maverick Carter, spent a week with him, and wrote five, six thousand words, putting this man and his what he was doing for LeBron in proper perspective. That was me. None of these other Stephen A. couldn't do it because, again, he can't write.
0: Jesus, and, and I'm just telling
1: you facts. He can't write never written a feature story, a long profile, probably in his life. He, he spouts off some opinions and some white editor dresses up and puts it in some grammar for, uh, for it, but he can't do it. But I was willing to do that. And so there's this little unsophisticated opinion like, oh my God, everybody just, any criticism of any of these Black dudes is seen as, oh, you're selling us out. Nobody else holds... I'm talking about white people, Asians. (laughs) There's no standard like, do you think white people are sitting around saying, oh, you can't criticize anybody white? Any white man? Because they sure are making a killing off of criticizing Donald Trump and no one has to apologize for it. Every other group, when they disagree with each other, they can be critical of each other. Iron sharpens iron. And so, but, but what I'm saying and what I believe Kwame Brown is saying is like, oh, if you're part of the elite group, you can get a defense. But because Kwame Brown wasn't part of the elite group, uh, he couldn't a get problem. a defense. Nobody. A and so I would say, they were, oh, you'll never defend a black man. Are, are you kidding me? Is, and again, I tend to defend the people that no one else will defend. There was the defensive end, uh, Greg Harding, Greg. there was a deep great let me there was a Cowboys defensive end that they wanted to run out of the NFL uh, because he got in a de- domestic dispute with a white woman. Uh, Greg Hardy, Greg Hardy got in, a, got in a domestic dispute with a white woman and they wanted to run him up out of the league. There was one journalist, period, black, white, whoever, who wrote several things and talked about several things defending this man's right to have a second chance. That was me. And so Kwame Brown, I'm going to defend him because I like what he's doing. People I agree with, people that I think are doing the right things, I'm going to defend them. People that I believe deserve a second chance, Michael Vick coming out of prison. I wrote very, wrote and talked about why he deserved a second chance coming out of prison, have defended him every step along the way since he came up out of prison. So it's a very unsophisticated uh, attack. And mostly how I translate it is, is, hey, man, we have some false gods, LeBron James and Colin Kaepernick, that you cannot criticize or social media is gonna paint you as a sellout?
0: Well, first, before I forget, Stephen A, he can't write according to you.
1: And any editors who's worked with him.
0: Why are they paying him that much money?
1: He doesn't write anymore, all he does is talk. They're paying him to talk. But still, he used he used the writing career. He used a writing career to launch a broadcasting career.
0: Okay, fine. But if he's uninformed, and, and it's obvious because he, he speaks he's on message, huh?
1: He's on message. That's so why.
0: He's a tool.
1: Yes, no he's question getting, about he's it. He's
0: getting paid to be a tool. Yes. Right? I I mean, I didn't I don't have the insight that you have. But I already know when people get these big checks, and this includes LeBron and everybody else, that money comes with strings. And, and our community, the Black community, we, not just, we don't just celebrate celebrity, we celebrate wealth. I've never seen people who validate anything other than black people talk about someone standing on the Forbes list. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's the most bizarre thing to me. He's number one on the Forbes list. You make $35,000 a year. What, what are you talking about? What you, you and him have really nothing in common. And that's no disrespect to you. He has tricked you into thinking you and him are alike. His views, his interests are very different from the people who will defend these people to the death. It is just bizarre. And when you're a tool for someone who is not Black and they're paying you all this money, what are the odds that their interests are the, the Black community, the the low-level Black community. So in fact, and this is the thing that's very perplexing for me because I'm somebody that I really genuinely want to try to help. It's just hard to figure out because I'm dealing with a group of people, not all, but too many, who celebrate people who are in fact the agents of chaos and destruction on our community. It's it's just, it's just weird to me, man. And, and, and again, the outrage is selective, right? I'm going to go back because I, I took a lot of heat on the last uh, video. There's people who said, I don't like you anymore. All because I said, I think the, uh, the, the apology was sincere. Nothing else. I don't know Charlemagne.
1: I Gotta let that
0: go, Listen, no, I, I'm not, it's just, it's not bothering me, but it's a teaching moment for me. I don't know Charlemagne. I communicated with him via DMs, never talked to him in person, never had a, a, a verbal communication with him other than at 105. I am consistent. I've been accused of crimes. I understand what it's like for a lynch mob to gather based on their selective outrage. And what I've noticed from my own experience is that when you are accused of doing something to someone the mob likes, these same people will call for your head. They want the justice system then. The same justice system they complain about all the time and say it's unfit. And when you are accused of doing something to someone they don't like, you're innocent. He's being railroaded. It's yo, It's a hell of a paradox, man. It's like, I'm, It's it's just weird. Kobe no. Bryant... Mike Tyson. Uh, was... Well, let me finish. Go Kobe Rye, Mike Tyson, uh, Derek Coleman, and even Reverend Run, and plenty more. I think Derek Rose, there's a long list of people who have, in the spotlight, who have been accused of rape. And I'm consistent. My thing is Let's take it to court and see the evidence. But the people, there's an inconsistency there because if they like you, you're innocent. And if they don't, you're guilty. And these are the same people that when a man gets out of prison after 25 years for a crime he didn't do, are talking about, man, the system is fucked up. You motherfuckers sent them there. That's what y'all do. Cause you talk out of turn, not knowing what the fuck you're talking about, based on opinions of the ma- of the moment, and then afterwards it's like, oops, and that's it. Now, what were you about to say, Jason?
1: What I'm about to say is, and, and I want to go at this Charlemagne thing directly, and I know you're going to say it 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 doesn't bother you but I think it does because you're talking about it. So I think we should go at it very directly. Okay, let's go. And so there's nobody, Schoon, as you know, how how long we've been friends now? Five years probably? About that, yes. About five years. It started with
0: Kaepernick, I believe.
1: (laughs) There's nobody that has more respect for your intellect than me. Perhaps your son, mama, I'm not your daughter, maybe. But I have a tremendous amount of respect for your intellect. That's why I do this with you. I'm trying to elevate you as a public intellectual and want people to hear your voice because I believe you come from a place uh, that adds some credibility to the discussion and you have a tremendous amount of insight and knowledge. So now that I've gassed you up, (laughs) <laughs> Let me say this. Let me say this. I thought you mishandled last week's conversation about Charlemagne. And I say that respectfully because I think it betrayed the values that you have expressed and I know you to have over the last five years. And I think people were surprised who have been watching. We've probably done 12 to 15 of these mm-hmm. podcasts. I think people were surprised to hear you in any way offer any kind of defense of Charlemagne. And it's not about the rape allegations. It's about like, can you recognize that Kwame Brown is creating a room for the kind of discussion that you and I have been having publicly during this podcast? Can, uh, do, do, do you recognize that one, his life is being threatened? And yeah, I don't like and, that. And he feels vulnerable. Kwame does, and so here's Charlemagne that goes on and airs out this he was man. Wrong. Her, yes, he was wrong. And so people weren't expecting you to deal with Kwame's retort of "Dude, you got a rape allegation. They were expecting, as I was, because I was surprised by your. Uh, I, I didn't
0: really talk about his rape. I talked about his. I apology. know. Yeah, I but, talked about his. But people.
1: I'm just telling you what people were expecting, and what I was expecting was like, mm-hmm. man, uh, Charlemagne's way out of pocket, and his apology sounds weak and forced, uh, and Qua- and Charlemagne needs to uh, continue to create space for Kwame to do what he's doing. It came across, like I- I'm gonna tell you how it came across to me and 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 I mean this respectfully. I thought for the first time, oh, Curtis is trying to do a podcast. He, he's trying to be entertaining and compelling rather than completely transparent with what he thinks. And it was like, let me take the other side of Whitlock a little bit and make this more entertaining. And that's how I felt. Because I was like, I don't think, I don't think he really uh, believes this. I think he's trying to be entertaining here. And that's the mistake.
0: All right, now let me let me explain. Yeah,
1: I, if I'm gonna
0: be a hundred percent honest, I have no idea if the apology was sincere, but it gave me hope because I'm telling you, not yeah. I, I've seen I've seen these situations get out of hand, and I do not want to be the guy to throw gas on the fire for views. You should have said know.
1: that then. You, you should have said I mean? that last okay.
0: week. All right. I'm I hoping understand. the apology
1: is sincere because yeah. I don't want to see this turn into Biggie and Tupac. That's I, a real belief. I,
0: I received that. Yeah. But that's really what I was thinking. I was like, man, I hope this shit is sincere because I don't want to see this get out of control. Now, since we, we brought up the rape this week, I sent you a video called Surviving Charlemagne the God. And you and I watched it, and we both agreed that at the very least, it's disturbing. I am not a judge, jury, or executioner, but I think there's there's some things that need to be addressed on his end, and that has nothing to do with what he said about Kwame, which is what we were talking about. You know, I think he was wrong for that.
1: I do think it's connected to Kwame, though.
0: Yo, and now it may be because see, I I know, I'm smart enough to know what I don't know. And that's another thing why I'm so uh, reluctant to commit 100% to certain things because I only have pieces of information. I don't want to be the guy to be 100% one way today and then find out next year, like, oh shit, I was wrong. I owe you an apology and this, that, the other. I, I really like to think things through because like I said, I've been the victim of wrongful accusations, man. And it's serious. I got accused of killing a man in a studio that I had never been in, didn't even know where it was located. And people up until recently were on on social media talking about, ain't you the guy who killed Jam Master J? To me, it's, 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 it's a it's, uh, look, man, it's, a, it's symbolic of how a certain segment of our population cry about injustice, wrongful uh, prosecution, uh, incarceration, nation, pipeline from schools to, they got all these fucking cliches and slogans. But then when you watch them in their day-to-day practice, you understand that they are a big part of why these things happen. Nobody knew anything. Common sense would tell you. There's a reason why I was never even questioned about it. If you're objectively thinking. They, they, I have screenshots that I've saved of people who blatantly accused me of getting arrested, I mean uh, of killing that man. And then when the when two people got arrested last year, they came on my timeline to talk about they they thought I got arrested. They was hoping I was one of the people. These are some sick fuckers, man. I when I see them on the same side with me, I'm just like, whoa. And when I'm pissing those kind of people off, I know I'm doing the right thing. I I I just do. Now, as far as this rape thing, man, listen, I saw the girl, I saw her mom. Um it, it it doesn't look good. I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't be able to sleep if they were accusing me of that. Even if I was innocent, I would have to get in front of it. And I think Charlemagne, he has to handle this. He has to do something about this. This is just my honest thoughts about what I saw. I know it was just a, 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 a videotape, but it wasn't a good look, man. It really wasn't. What was your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think it is connected to what Kwame was saying in this regard that I, I keep saying they want people on message. And the easiest way to have somebody be on message is to have information that compromises them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, yes. Charlemagne's compromise. He pled guilty to delinquency of a minor or something like that. Yes. yes. As related to, to get out from underneath the rape allegations, he took a plea. The guy that put out uh the video, Surviving Charlemagne the God, the horrific story of Jessica Nicole Reed, you can watch it on YouTube. It's pretty powerful. It it at the very least, it sounds like he at 22, 23, 22 years old, and ain't no reason for me to exaggerate, at 22 years old, he participated in filling up a 15-year-old girl with a bunch of liquor at a party where she says she was taken advantage of by other men and Charlemagne. Those are her allegations. But he had the delinquency of a minor, I think, is him acknowledging that he filled this 15-year-old girl up with liquor. And the only reason why it didn't go any further, according to this documentary, this video, is that the girl's mother didn't wanna put her daughter through that pain and the embarrassment, having to admit all that had happened to her. And so the mother folded, and and I don't mean that in a negative sense, but she now regrets it. Uh, but, But guilt to innocence, I'm not a judge. But but what I what I just think it's related to is on message and compromise people and Kwame Brown pointing out like, hey man, these guys are gatekeepers of chaos. That's his words. Mm-hmm. And there's certain people they choose, they don't choose the most talented and the most qualified for these positions. No, they they don't, choose no. who they can control. And so you keep looking up, and it was like, uh, well, this guy has this in his past, and this guy has that in his past, and he was accused of this, and he was accused of, and why do all these guys keep getting the platforms, the major ones? It's not a mistake. It's because they can be controlled. They will stay on message. They will protect the elites. I'm going to give you the latest example, and at some point I may write about this because at some point today, this is airing on Tuesday. You guys will hear about what all I'm doing in the future. But one of the things I, I may uh, write about here soon is I don't know if you've noticed this thing about these NBA players allegedly are being attacked by things. and yeah, yeah and somebody threw a water bottle, and someone spitted one, and so. Westbrook had popcorn thrown at him. And and I'm not defending the fans at all. But fan is a part of fanaticism. That's where it comes from, fanatics. It's an emotionally charged environment. There's a long history of fans attacking, belittling, berating, uh, throwing objects at athletes. Long before these sports were dominated by Black athletes, fans were attacking athletes. Fanatics were attacking athletes. There's a long tradition of that. Now, in 2021, though, because the athletes are all millionaires and they are the power structure and they're treated as royalty, we now act like, oh, my God, someone threw popcorn at uh, Russell Westbrook, this is a crime. This is like saying they threw confetti at him.
0: Yeah.
1: I've never known anybody injured by popcorn. Maybe I'm wrong, uh, but but and and somewhat and take even the spitting incident. Charles Barkley spit on a young white child, and oh, wow. we forgave him. Go look; it's in And we he threw a fan through a plate glass window, and we forgave him. And thank God we did, because Charles Barkley is a great human being. Someone I respect tremendously. He's done some wrong things. We for, Forgiveness has been eliminated because, and all these elites, these elite broadcasters are on television. And, oh, God, someone threw popcorn at Russell Westbrook. We've got to stop this. The fans are out of control. And it's all just protection of elites. I'm not saying the fans are right but we're acting like this is unprecedented behavior and it's all a sign of systemic racism. And it's it's bullshit. It's protection of elites. That's all these guys do. They're not a voice for the voices. They're gatekeepers of chaos and protection for the elites. They're distractions so that you can't see what the elites are actually really doing. And and I'm gonna relate this all the way back to Kwame and why I think Kwame is important. He's expressing working-class, common man values. He's trying to protect the space for working-class non-elites to still have a voice in this country. The media used to pretend to be a voice for working-class and poor people. Now they don't even pretend. We're just a voice for the elites. Let's make sure Meghan Markle never (laughs) hears a coarse word in her life. Let's make sure LeBron James never gets asked a tough question. No one ever criticizes him for the buffoonish shit he says and does. Let's make sure no one ever criticizes Kobe Bryant or Colin Kaepernick or any of these other multimillionaires. The media has abandoned its job, and it's guys like, Uh, Kwame Brown, Kevin Samuels, uh, the shit that we're trying to do is people outside corporate media who are trying to say, hey, man, here's what's best for the great mass of Black people who are not elites, who are not global citizens. I want the people watching right now, the Black people in particular, do you have a passport? And does it have any stamps on it outside of Mexico
0: <laughs> or Dominican Republic? <laughs> <laughs> have
1: you have you really? Because if you don't have a passport, or if you have one and you ain't gone no further than Tijuana, you're not a global citizen. You're just not. LeBron, the Obamas, a handful of elite Negroes—they're global citizens. They're not on your team. Trust me. Yeah.
0: Look, speaking of Kevin Samuels, um I, I did see a clip last night with Kwame addressing Tommy Sadomayor over Kevin Samuels. Again, grown men, right? I didn't watch Tommy's clip, but based on uh, based on what Kwame said, Tommy Sadomayor is upset that Kwame is shouting out Kevin Samuels and him because he says Kevin Samuels stole his whole swag or whatever. First of all, I I've, I've, I saw Tommy Sotomayor probably about a decade ago. He's not somebody I watch all the time. Uh, I haven't watched him in years and I wasn't a regular when I did. Just browsing the, the, the net he criticized black women I think he believes that he has a patent on that you know what I mean but look, this is how you know, this is how moronic this stuff sounds it reminds me of like about, about 30 years ago close to it there was a, a two rap songs that came out of Atlanta whoop there it is And woot, there it is. And the both groups were beefing about who came up with the slogan first. I mean, this is just childish, man. Well, again, why does Kwame have to explain why he doesn't want to be in the middle of an issue between two YouTubers? First of all, I think Kevin Samuels, he speaks to a completely different demographic than Tommy Sotomayor. I, I just do, you know. Um, well, what's your thoughts
1: on this, man? Well, I, I think it gets at this overall theme we're talking about in terms of Black men and can we get along and can we work together? Can we support each other? Uh, you know, Kevin Samuels put out a video, I think last week, about being on code, the code, mm. saying there needs to be a code among black men and i think there's some truth to that uh it'll be difficult because we would have to agree well what is the code and and you know i'd be more than willing to discuss with kevin Sanders or anybody about hey can we develop a code but uh you know tommy reached out to me over twitter last week asking me to come on this podcast and I said sure but I said I'm going to defend Kwame Brown and Kevin Samuels I think there's room for everybody haven't heard haven't <laughs> heard back from Kwame since it's only been a short time and maybe it's been 48 72 hours I I, I I can't and I'm still very willing to go on his show but I am going to defend these guys because I think they're worth defending, and also, too, I think my mother has a saying. It's very important. Ain't nothing new but the doers. And it it basically, in writing, you have the understanding, like, you're not writing anything original. It's already been written. And And so there's... I don't get where Tommy's coming from. Of everybody has stole his act or whatever, uh, you know what would they say: Elvis stole his act from Little Richard and Chuck Michael Ray. Jackson. Yeah. Chuck or whatever, Michael Jackson stole it from Elvis. Or I mean, in arts and in everybody's stealing something from everybody. That that's just what you do. And so I get when I hear that. I say this respectfully because. I think there's room at the table for Tommy and and, and what he does. But I don't think you should be mad because Kevin Samuels perhaps took your act to another level and is benefiting from elevating your act. You should say, well, well, now I'm going to elevate his act or, you know, but, but... run cuz i think uh i listened to kwame talk about tommy has said that kwame is stealing things that <laughs> that that tommy originally said and so i would just i would advise tommy man to you know Give these room, give these guys room to do their thing. There's plenty of room for you to do your thing. I say it all respectfully. I'm not trying to to beef with anybody. Uh, and that's that's one of the things Kevin Samuels talked about. He's not beefing with nobody. Of course he, not. He, 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 he's not gonna engage. But what has happened is, and Kevin Samuels talked about this, is that you know the attack on him now is that Kevin Samuels is gay. I think Tommy has been insinuating that, <laughs> and somebody, somebody else, I think, insinuated that about uh, about Kevin, and and so there is this. Uh, I mean, we go to some lengths to when we get upset and somebody's having success, we go to lengths to tear them down. Person, you start you know questioning the man's sexuality and all of that. That that's that's a level of like wow, and and, and I hear people say that about Kwame in terms you know, he's calling Matt Barnes Becky with the good hair, <laughs> that's an attack. Uh and, and I get why people are like, hey man, Kwame's being contradictory, but but I look at Kwame as a special kid, man. When you've been eating shit for twenty years, and you know it's like I ain't played in seven eight years, and y'all still got my name falling out of your mouth in, in a, a disparaging way, and like I'm a laughing stock, and I'm nothing. I get why Kwame exploded verbally, and I just I just think we should just give him the space to calm down because anybody that's paying attention can see the guy is a force for good and creating space for all of us to benefit from the space that he's creating in the conversation. Because I'm telling you, b- b- before he this explosion, anybody that said any of the things he's talking about is getting labeled a sellout, a misogynist, homophobic, transphobic, everything else. And I got nothing but respect for the young man, like the direction he's going, I keep, but yeah, I, I've, I've rambled on
0: him. No, no, you're good, man. Uh, it's a spirited discussion we're having here. Uh, you said Stephen A is compromised. And you say- Charlemagne and uh,
1: Steve, yeah. Stephen A too, Yeah,
0: Yeah, he's they're compromised in different ways, right? Yes. So anyway, how do you think, based on the, the premise of that, how do you think Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes are compromised? <clears throat> because I don't understand why there's a, a series about Matt Barnes' life coming to showtime. Like what's really going on in his life that, who is he? I mean, real talk. I mean, I know he was in the NBA. so. Thousands of people have been in the
1: NBA. Like, I, I, I would agree. Look, I... somebody watch their podcast. If somebody... If somebody objectively analyzed what it is they're doing, they're not very talented. And, and I say that people are going to get upset. Oh, you're just jealous. Look at the success they're having. I watched their entire... Gilbert Arenas uh, podcast or most of it more than an hour's worth of it and there, this has never been pointed out but it's, it, at least in this one and maybe I'll have to go look at more to see if it's true but these guys if you go watch their Gilbert Arenas interview there are producers maybe they're white maybe they're black I don't know they're holding cue cards up Oh shit. To tell them which questions to ask. You can see them look off camera and then look back and ask a question. And so what they have tapped into Showtime and the backers of this podcast is, is these guys, these are the two toughest guys in the NBA. Oh god.
0: They're the modern
1: day Charles Oakley's. And so they and and they smoke weed. And it's called All the Smoke. And there's pictures of Biggie and Tupac and Nipsey Hussle and Kobe Bryant. And uh, They got all the right false gods. We, uh, rappers, basketball players. And so they've created an atmosphere. Hats off to Showtime developers. There's rumors people say, I don't know if this is true that Charlemagne is invested in their podcast. People say that. I I, I don't know if that's true or not. But the show isn't having success because these guys are incredibly talented. The show's having success because we have been programmed to believe that if something feels edgy and hip-hop weeded, drugged up. Jesus. Man, no, isn't, that's Isn't cool.
0: Steven Jackson a Muslim, though? Uh, he's in the last
1: drink. 30 to 90 days, yes, he is. Steve, look, man, Steven Jackson's reputation as an NBA player, and again, I've told y'all, say it again, I believe Steven Jackson's intentions are good, comes from a unique, difficult background. He's doing the best that he can. His reputation in the NBA, and that he's a member of the Bloods gang. And he, His reputation post career wow. high up in the blood. Uh, Matt Barnes and again Stephen Jackson had problems in the NBA with law enforcement, and so when I say that they're compromised by their broadcasting talents, okay. If somebody doesn't put all this stuff around them and doesn't have a vision of like, man, we can get these two NBA tough guys to sit here and smoke weed. And just have this high cheat and they're cheechin chong or whatever or oh, <laughs> <laughs> And they're tough guys and they they got all this street credibility. Again, it's Curtis. Most rappers are not talented. The overwhelming majority of them are not talented. They It's almost like saying, whoever you think the most talented woman is in whatever field, politics, sports, whatever, but compare her ability to get attention versus a stripper or a Playboy model. Mm -hmm. And so we've been conditioned like an attractive woman spreads her legs that's gonna draw a crowd and everybody's gonna to come to look. And so her talents are irrelevant. It's like she spreads her legs up her camera. And so we come there whether she has any talent or not. This is what these guys have tapped into in the rap world. It's pornography, lyrical pornography. It doesn't, Cardi B is not a talented rapper, plain and simple. She spreads her legs and says profane things on camera. And it draws an attention in the crowd. It's her lack of talent why she has to spread her legs and say profane things. That's what makes her compromise. She's not very smart. These guys aren't bringing a lot of broadcasting talent to a podcast. They're willing to be portrayed in a certain way. We've all been trained and it's been marketed. Oh, look at them. They they high as fuck. They may do violence. Come look at these Negroes. We come and look. That draws a crowd. That's how they're compromised. It's not, it's not like they're not Stuart Scott. They're not even Stephen A. Smith. Jeez. Uh, so, and that sounds like a harsh review, but it's just being factual, man. Steven Jackson, I like. Wish him well. I think he's trying to transition as a person into something far better. Matt Barnes, he's just in it for the check, and you said something earlier about uh, we decide winners and losers based on the check, the bag, the bag. That's all we talk about, the bag, the bag, the bag. Look, man, the bag is most determined by who's willing to cut corners and do something unethical. That's who generally gets the biggest bag, from Bill Gates all the way down.
0: Yes, you know, you, you brought something into to clarity for me when you said that Stephen Jackson has been Muslim from 30 to 90 days or something. And again, um, no shots at him but someone showed me his Instagram page and I saw him wearing his jala bear, his Muslim tunic. But in two pictures, he had a one, he had a Chanel Jalabir, and the other one, he had a, a Gucci print Jalabir. And I, you know, like, I know Muslims. My brother's a Muslim. My brother goes to Juma every Friday, you know, and I'm looking at the picture and I'm like, I don't know if this is, I, yo. I I didn't know what to make of it,
1: and I I, I hope he's a materialistic know, Muslim is what you're you saying. <laughs> I,
0: I hope the brother, uh, you know, is on his dean and um, he gets the proper guidance and and does the right thing, man. And and again, Steve Jackson and Matt Bonds and whoever else, if you're watching this. Um, We, as Black men, we have to be less hostile towards each other, um, more tolerant with each other. And if there's something wrong, if I said or did something wrong, even in this podcast, and reach out to me, man. And let's talk about it. You know what I mean? And if you can show me that and I can agree, oh, I I would correct it. And I think... That's part of the code Kevin Samuels uh, sh- is talking about, or should be part of the code that Kevin Samuels is talking about. He did talk about that.
1: Because yeah. what do you think of the idea of a code among black men and how we should engage with each other, talk about each other? What What would need to be in the code? in order for you to, to sign off and be like, yeah, I'm down with that.
0: Um, I'm, I'm totally against stepping on someone to get somewhere. We can't afford to do that. There's not enough of us that's doing well out here. You know, you know what I mean? And we need as many people
1: Who defines when you're stepping on someone to get somewhere though?
0: Well, I think, I think when someone is minding their business like Kwame was, and you're in a better position than him, and for content, you're just constantly dogging them out. I think that's one clear cut case, you know? Criticizing somebody, like if I criticize LeBron That's not me stepping on LeBron. In fact, what usually happens, like when I criticize Kaepernick, is their fans attack me. So much of what I do, just by being honest, is counterproductive to widespread popularity. And that's fine with me. But when people purposely do things, and you know they're doing it only to become popular. I I think that's kind of like stepping on someone to get somewhere. I, I don't think what Kwame is doing by responding to these people is stepping on someone to get somewhere. Although it's working out pretty good for him, but he's entitled to it. I don't wake up every day talking about thinking like, yo, which famous person can I attack today so I can get some likes and retweets and get some views on YouTube. And I think there's people who do that, man. But that, that's, and, and you know, it may need better uh, defining than that. But I, I just really think, man, there's one thing about being credible and being professional, and then there's something completely different about being personal and malicious, meaning to end someone's cash flow if they're not doing anything wrong, if they're doing something wrong like the Black Lives Matter lady, Patrice Cullors and all the rest of them. I I never hear these these, uh, gatekeeping Negroes criticize any of this. And a lot of it is going on and they're mum on it. They won't say a word. They won't say a goddamn word. You know what I mean? But there's enough people who deserve criticism that you don't have to go out your way to find people who do.
1: Here's what I think, because I've seen Kevin Samuels' video, I don't think you have. Here's what I think where Kevin Samuels is coming from. He's an image consultant. Mm-hmm. And he's interested in the protection of the black male image. Okay. And so I think that when he's talking about a code, it's Are your public behaviors representing the black male image in a positive light? And so this is where, and I I don't think he and Kwame have talked. I haven't talked to Kwame since the very beginning of this. Uh, There's no coordination. It's just me talking. But what I've heard Kwame talk, I think he's in line with with that line of thinking, is your behavior promoting a positive image of Black men? And uh, I think for Kevin Samuels, that means how are you dressed? How are you representing yourself publicly? Mm -hmm. And uh, how are you representing yourself over social media publicly? And so one of the things we've lost, and this is the point I was trying to get to, Kwame Brown, because I've seen Kwame hint at this. It's like, what you do in your private life is completely different than what you do in your public life. Mm -hmm. And this is where I think there's some disconnect for us as Black men, is that we think, and, you know, take Black men out of it. To me, this is where the left has gone just crazy. They think all private behavior must be displayed and worn on your sleeve. Keeping it real. (laughs) Yes. And and it's like, no one wants to have a private life. And that's where social media has tapped into, uh, like, hey, anything you do, if you smoke weed, if you do heroin, Whatever, if you like to have sex with three women at the same time, put it all on social media. There's no private life anymore, everything's public. And so, from rappers to just, oh man, you know, it's like, do I like pussy? Well, I got to show you how much I like pussy by putting it on public display for everybody. Any video I put out, girls are going to have their ass out and shaking and blah, blah, blah. There's no private life anymore. And so I tend to, because I don't know how far along Kevin Samuels was in his thinking by, by suggesting this, but, but that's where I think we could all have some agreement. It's like, How do you represent yourself publicly? I don't want to judge your private life. I don't, I'm unconcerned with what gives you an orgasmic feeling. I don't want to know about it. I don't need to know about it. It's unimportant to me. But how you represent yourself, that has an impact publicly. That has an impact on how people perceive me and I've seen a lot of, that's one thing where I think white guys are sophisticated about is like, I'm going to present myself one way publicly, and I'm going to keep my private life private. And don't, you know, because your private life, generally speaking, in this conversation, in this particular conversation, is your sin. And your sin is something you and God need to deal with, not me, as long as it doesn't hurt me. You go out and murder somebody, we have a right. But but again, your orgasmic desires or whatever, as long as it's not involving a minor or whatever, keep that away from me. As long as you're not breaking any laws, yeah. Yes, yeah. And so that's what I think the code should be about. And if we got on code, I think we all, including myself, publicly, we'd use a lot less profanity. Publicly, we wouldn't uh, be spewing the N-word in every video and every, Mm. you know, there's, there's a lot of things we would do publicly. We would present ourselves professionally and, uh, present ourselves again uh, Kevin Seamus did point this out he's like look at the grammar that people put on social media how, how are you representing yourself or anybody in a positive way with the grammar that you're using he's an image consultant for sure and, <laughs> and, but, but but I look at it a lot of times I look at LeBron's grammar over social media I was like man this dude's writes like he's in third grade. How, yeah. Who's allowing this to happen at Nike or any place else? But but they so lowered the standard for black men, it's like we expect it. Well, of course he writes at the third grade level. Don't they all? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Don't they all? <laughs> so to me, the code should be about how you present yourself publicly. And are you willing to stay on call? Are you willing to do that much for Black people, and that's a small effort. But but we wanna think the code is never criticize, never uh, say a harsh word about anybody Black.
0: And how tough you are. Yes. At, at 50 years old.
1: Yes. Amazing.
0: Listen, switching gears a little bit, right? So something came across my timeline yesterday. I think I tagged you on it the day before. A Villanova professor lists one of his areas of expertise as Colin Kaepernick, right? And this guy, his name is Glenn Bracey, PhD, Assistant Professor of Sociology and Criminology, criminology, College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. One of his, he's listed this on his bio, one of his areas of expertise Is Colin Kaepernick. And he's at a major university, Villanova. What's going on in our education system, man?
1: Well, I would even say, what's just going on with us as just men? Because, you know, I've been having this conversation for 30 years. The only man I'm an expert on. Is the man in the mirror. Everything else is just speculation. So to be run around uh, <laughs> pretending like you're an expert on Colin, has he ever met him? Has he ever talked to him? I got no disrespect to any of my friends. No disrespect to you, Curtis. I don't know a damn thing about you. I, I, I really don't. I, I, I don't. Any of my friends I've had for a long time, I don't know nothing about them. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what them and their wives is doing. Yeah. I don't know. And I, I, I make that very clear. I'm an expert on me.
0: Yeah,
1: I know yeah. what I do. I don't even know what my brother does. <laughs> and I'm really tight with I don't know what my sister does. I can speculate. But, but for, for this clown to be running around, I'm an expert on Colin Kaepernick. I think the only person that potentially could could say that is Nessa. Cause she's laying up in bed with him most nights, I would assume. Maybe this professor is. I don't. Is that what he's claiming? I, I don't know.
0: Look, man, he might be another Mark Lamar Hill. Who knows? You know? <laughs> he might be trying to get pregnant like Mark Lamar Hill. <laughs> Yo, why why are these people? This is a black man. He's at Villanova. A PWI, I think that stands for predominantly white institution. I don't know, is that what it stands for? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, look, why do these predominantly white institutions such as Princeton, Harvard, Georgetown, Temple, hire these kind of black professors and give them a platform? If you ever pay attention, they never work at HBCUs. What's going on? It's it's to me, it falls in line with people like ESPN and Showtime hiring certain types of black people.
1: Is, is it gatekeepers of chaos, man? Gatekeepers of degeneracy and buffoonery. If you elevate, elevate Kaepernick, Jay Z, because. I think Michael Eric Dyson, I think he's an expert on Jay-Z, writes books, teaches at colleges about Jay-Z. If you put these universities want to put these clowns at the top of the black circus that they're running, and we should study Colin Capri. He's important to American history. No the fuck he's not. I know, but they don't want I'm sure there's no professor there that's an expert on Ben Carson or Clarence Thomas. Positive, these people have achieved great things and contributed to society in enormous ways. But if you can keep us studying Kaepernick, Jay Z, LeBron James, Jim Shoes, you know, because in in the sports writing field, uh. I mean, one of the pushbacks I got at, a D, at at ESPN was, you know, they wanted more stories about sneakers and Black people's love affair of sneakers.
0: Oh, God.
1: And so there's just inconsequential bullshit that they want us focused on. And so that's that man raised his hand and said, I'll take that check for ninety to $110,000 to teach some Kaepernick bullshit. And and we society's been so dumbed down that we'll look at that. And and trust me, there's athletes, black athletes. Man, I can go study Colin Kaepernick at Villanova. Unreal. I'll, I'll go play basketball there. I can now sit up and have some sit in a class about Colin Kaepernick. Shit, they may start getting our degr- degrees in Kaepernick, and <laughs> who knows. But it don't prepare you for shit, but before
0: them. Aside from being gatekeepers, is it possible that they, these people are simply a reflection of the people who hire them? Maybe the hiring party only wants to hire people who reflect their views and 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 their their ideologies or what have you.
1: It's specific I'm, to us, though, school. You will not see. I guarantee you will never, see, and maybe you will, but I don't think universities are going to have some Tom, some guy. I'm a Tom Brady expert. I'm a Tim Tebow expert. I no, don't it, think it I is have,
0: specific to us, absolutely. Yeah. But that's because, as we've been talking, this whole conversation is the underlying theme, is the importance of celebrity in our community,
1: right? And for and, and, and of idolatry, but- Idolatry, on. yes.
0: <laughs> yes, that, that really uh, describes it better. Yeah. Idolatry is out of hand, out of control in our com- in our community. And I think it didn't happen on its own. I think hires like this guy for bullshit like he specializes in, reinforces the idolatry. And through that idolatry is how we are misled. Because Colin Kaepernick, who I I don't think I've ever heard him really say anything, is somehow considered a a leader or something. Of late, some people have been catching on that he's really just making money and he doesn't really believe in the shit he's talking about. But initially, you couldn't say anything about Colin Kaepernick without there being a whole lot of backlash. And, and that that brings something else.
1: Hold oh, for one second, because I want to you, the Kaepernick point. Just compare Kaepernick to Kwame Brown. Kaepernick doesn't speak. He tweets out things That's <laughs> yes, the swab off. This dude Kwame Brown has defended his position now for two weeks straight with, I would say up to twenty-four hours worth of content, if not, hell, maybe more than that. He's putting out looks about like two he does hours about two,
0: three videos a day. To <laughs> make yeah, <your>
1: shit. <laughs> it just and mostly just him talking. Now he's gone. He's pivoted to interviewing people, but I've seen this dude talk for two straight hours mm-hmm. defending his position just by himself out on an island. And, and again, we want to talk about how courageous Colin Kaepernick is, and how eloquent and well-spoken, and blah. This dude's a coward and won't even open his own fucking mouth.
0: I I, I, I always saw it as that, but I started realizing, man, that um, these people, right? And this is on another la- layer. Not only do they reflect the people who empower them and pay them they kind of reflect the people who gravitate to them. And that's a sad commentary on the community and society as a whole. And this is why they take it so personally when you say something about them, because it's almost like you're attacking them unbeknownst to you. They identify so closely with a Colin Kaepernick or whatever whatever other idiot they got out there on Front Street. And, And when you say something, Sometimes I'm like, "Damn, do you know this motherfucker? Why, why does it bother you so much? Like, this is just my opinion. I don't think that this and man, they'll come for your head, man, just because you said something." And it's like it's like church. People talk about the pastor, but I think in every church, regardless of what the church is, there's some some kind of a reflection between the pastor and the congregation. The congregation will reflect the pastor and the pastor will reflect the congregation. Otherwise they wouldn't be there for each other. They they have some kind of common ground. They have to. And I think the, the fans of a Kaepernick, they share a lot of his values and not just the things that he's talking about. They want that quick bag. They would do the same thing that he's done.
1: Uh, I think it's true as it relates to the church church is gonna be reflective of the pastor. And so particularly, you know, we have so many female dominated churches in terms of the congregation. That's why uh, churches have become so feminine and even with male ministers or whatever, it still reflects a feminist agenda.
0: Raphael Warnock, Ebenezer Baptist Church, you're damn right.
1: Uh, But as it relates to, let's say academia, And in terms of this professor and it being a reflection of Colin Kaepernick, I I disagree. And I, I would even, I think that academia, the media, Hollywood see us as tools. That's all we are. Tools for an agenda they want to accomplish.
0: I was speaking of the fans who defended Kaepernick. I think they share the same values as him.
1: I think those guys don't – I just think they're so caught up in idolatry and groupie and, and that social media has destroyed independent thought and empowered group thing. I just think they want to be with the crowd. They have a wet finger in the air to see which way the wind is blowing, and that's mm-hmm. it. If the Kwame, along
0: get along, gang. As yeah, your boy says. If, <laughs> if, if
1: Kwame starts, if the wind keeps being at Kwame's back, you are gonna see a lot of these people say, "Well, yeah, the wind's blowing a different direction." Let me hop on what Kwame's talking about. I I don't think because I don't think I'll go back to what I said. I don't think they know what Ka- what Kaepernick thinks. I, I don't think they have any idea. All they think, and and you said something earlier that I would caution against. You said something about, I know if I'm irritating this group of people, I'm saying the right things. And I always think that's a mistake. Uh, And because we as Black people have, that's being used against us. We have programmed ourselves or we've been programmed into thinking, man, if Republicans are mad at what we're doing, we're doing the right thing. And so that's our agenda. What can we say to make Republicans or conservatives mad? And we don't care about anything else. How, if what we're doing makes Republicans mad and makes God mad, we could care less. At least Republicans are mad. Uh, and so there's re- someone else is in control of your behaviors and thoughts if you're always seeking to agitate rather than just, stick to the truth. And so I don't think, I think the love affair with Kaepernick is a way for simple-minded people to agitate white conservatives. It serves black people no purpose. There's not, taking a knee and all that bullshit has not helped black people at all. It's irritated white people. And if your life is built around irritating white people, you need to ask, what is the purpose of your life? In terms, if, if all you are is a tool to irritate certain white people, when do you spend your life? And if your happiness is gained through irritating a certain group of white people, you're actually living a very sad existence that will never see you reach your full human capacity because all you're running around doing is trying to irritate white people. It is, it's it's stupid.
0: Listen, if you visit my Twitter page, my YouTube page, my website, schoontv.com, my slogan is the truth may be an offense, but it is never a sin. I don't go around seeking to agitate anyone. However, when I speak the truth and the agitated reveal themselves, I feel like I did a good thing. Because if the truth bothers you, only you know why. And you may need to re- reevaluate your own actions and choices. You know, it's, it's, it's really that simple, man. I, I, it's, I, when I get out, like I say, I don't really do things to specifically anger anyone. What I do is what I feel is right. With no concern, if it angers someone, and and that's that's the difference with me, for sure. You know, it's today. Today is what May thirty first.
1: June first.
0: Today's June first.
1: When it's oh, Tuesday, on Tuesday. T- yeah. Tomorrow 1st, will be yeah. June
0: first. Yes, correct. The day this airs will be June first. And what I saw was something interesting. Um, this is the hundred-year anniversary of that period in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And and uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, <laughs> you reach for the water. You <laughs> get ready. Look, the 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 Black Wall Street massacre was a a racial incident in this country a hundred years ago. This time, um. I'm not going to rehash what happened, but I saw. Stacey Abrams and John Legend were on their way to Tulsa. To commemorate.
1: And Joe Biden.
0: Yeah, look to commemorate the massacre. But they canceled because the survive survivors or. I mean yeah, there's a
1: handful of survivors
0: yeah wanted a million dollars each a uh, couple things why is this part of the left's strategy to fixate on racial incidents primarily why is Stacy Abrams going to Tulsa and why is John Legend going there? Like, who the fuck is John Legend? When did he become the point man for all these racial flashpoints in history, as a matter of fact? And, and last but not least, how old are the survivors and what are they gonna do with a million dollars? Your thoughts?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like they are represented by Ben Crump. Uh, oh, man. Look, <laughs> man, th- th- there's an organized strategy to keep Black people looking in the rearview mirror.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: There's an organized strategy because, and maybe I'm not paying attention to these other groups, but do Asian Americans organize events to commemorate, well, this is the day we went to an interment camp during World War II. Jesus. Do, do, do they do that? Do, do everybody experiences tragedies. We have been convinced that our tragedies define our lives. I was just watching a TV show uh, called Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. It's pretty popular. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, that's where I'm watching it. And I was it's it's a story about a rancher in Montana, and it's a modern story. It's in the it's modern times. And uh there are Indian reservations, and it's about basically a war between this white rancher and this Native American guy named Thomas Raintree or something. And Anyway, they showed this Indian. There's this Indian woman teaching at a predominantly white, I think Montana State University, and she's teaching Native American culture. And a young man in the class who is also Indian, or he visited the class. Uh, he told her, "Hey, don't just focus on the tragedies. or people are going to think our life is tragic." Mm-hmm focus on the achievements and the accomplishment. Total, and I was like, told her this in a very, Yellowstone, the Yellowstone's a very popular television show. And it just, there's a strategy to keeping black people defining our narrative and our life in tragedy and constantly looking in the rearview mirror. On this day, this happened. Emmett Till, we, re- we have to keep these tragedies at the forefront of our thoughts. I don't know any other group that is just that committed to celebrating and commemorating every tragedy tragedy that's happened. And so here's something that happened 100 years ago. I'm not saying that it's not part of our history. It is. I just don't know what the benefit is to the focus, celebration of it. I've been told Joe Biden is going to Tulsa uh, to talk about, he and Kamala Harris, this is intentional. They don't want you looking ahead and pursuing your future. They want you looking behind and having everything that happened in the past define your future. It's a it's a mind fuck done by people who don't give a fuck about <laughs> it.
0: Look, man. What bothers me about, a lot bothers me about the trend, not just this one incident. Tragedy, defeat, failure, all of these things have somehow been substituted for accomplishments and success. It's almost as if we don't have any accomplishments. And what, what this does, because we make such a big deal of the losses we've taken in history from slavery on down, that it it reinforces that pervasive fear that is evident whenever you hear someone on TV speak about our plight in America, Um, it reinforces an inferiority that someone wants us to have, because as long as we feel inferior, then we will remain dependent on someone to protect us and provide for us like children. And, and again, I'm with you. I don't think it's a, (laughs)
1: Accident. It's <laughs> no,
0: it's not. It's definitely yeah. not, you know, but there's also a, a, another um, side effect from all of this. There's a, a lack of, I'm not gonna say lack of, I'm gonna say patriotism in the Black community is probably lower than any other community and it's because of this constant reminder of how bad this country has been for us, to us. Well, and, and and when I say reminder, this fixation on this, because there's been good things from being in this country as well. This is why other people want to come here so badly, but and we don't, do. listen, Black people
1: from other countries. All
0: over want to come here. And it's not because they're here that it's terrible for Blacks. I I think when you isolate the negative and just obsess over that, it's going to be very hard for Black people to feel patriotic in any way. Now, look, I, I go to Black barbershops all the time. I seldom have ever heard anyone express any kind of patriotism in a black barbershop. I just haven't. And I think it's because of this kind of indoctrination. It almost feels like you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't feel that way. If Colin Kaepernick is, is giving the middle finger to the flag, yeah, look, because look at all, the, look at all what they did to us. But what I want to say to black people is, whether it be true or not, what what are your options? Where are you going?
1: What are you gonna uh, do? I, I think the agenda is to promote a lack of responsibility, and it's it's you used to call it a dependency, which is just it's the same thing. Yeah. And so it's like if if. You convince people, hey, man, this country ain't never done a damn thing for you. Why should you do a damn thing for this country? It's white people's responsibility to take care of this country and to take care of you. And because that that's who this country's for and that's who it's benefited. And so it's, it's an emasculation of black men because Curtis, Back in the early hundreds and all the way up, probably to Vietnam, black people couldn't wait to prove their patriotism. I know, and fought to be able to fight in In war, the the whole nine to prove their patriotism. And so now we've gone the complete reverse, and it's like all those people were suckers. Well, all those people created this environment that none of you want to to leave, and a bunch of black people from other countries want to get into. So who's really the suckers? To me, it's it's those of us that have bought this bullshit that tragedy explains the entire African-American journey and America ain't done nothing but kick us in the teeth. It's just not true. Uh, it's unhealthy, and and I'm going to circle it all the way back to my man, Kwame Brown. But if you listen to what he's saying, Uh that's what he's saying. Like, hey, man, America ain't all bad. Actually, it's pretty good. And if you're willing to put a little work in, get your hands dirty or whatever, you can have – you know maybe you ain't gonna have what I had cuz I made 60 million bucks but you have a smaller example of what I got I got my own land I farm my own land create my own food I'm happy I got my son my daughter here my family I can help it's it's pretty simple uh, but I got to go Brother, listen out of
0: listen that was that was a great ending for this Memorial Day, even though it's gonna air on uh, Tuesday, June 1st. And being that it's Memorial Day, I'd like to say thank you to all the troops that serve. And um, God bless you all and all the families who lost people in wars, you know? And don't forget people, subscribe to schooltv.com. Have a good day, Jason. Take care. SchoonTV.com is now live become a vip member to my website for all access to exclusive media subscribe to my youtube channel for updates on new episodes